0: A little four-year-old girl was having trouble grasping the concept of marriage. And she was your typical four-year-old, cute, inquisitive, bright as a new shiny penny. But she was having trouble with this thing. So her father decided he knew what he would do. He knew it would help. So he went and got the family wedding photo album. And he brought that album out. And he said, surely seeing the pictures of a wedding... Seeing mom and dad getting married would help. So he took that uh, picture album, and took his little girl and sat down and began going through the pictures and pointing out all the things that went on. There's the bride arriving at the church and here's the entrance and here's the ceremony and uh, here's the reception and pictures from the reception. And little girl took it all in. And when he was done, he said to her, he said, now do you understand? She says, I think so. Is that when mommy came to work for us? There's a lot of confusion out today when it comes to marriage and the concept of marriage. And it's not just among four-year-olds either. Many people have no idea what marriage means, what it's for, or even why we have it. There are those in our world who would wish to do away with it even. We want to spend our next few minutes, as well as the next several weeks, talking about topics like marriage and family, the home, husbands and wives and children and probably parenting. And I want you, if you would, this morning to find your spot in Ephesians chapter five. And we'll be there. You can put a marker there and leave it there for the next several weeks. It will also be another passage today. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter five. Now, let me say right off the bat that my goal in this series called Help for Your Family, my goal is not to be politically correct. My goal is to be biblically correct. I really don't care today what the world thinks or teaches about marriage. I care, and I hope you do as well, about what God teaches and about what God says about marriage. The Bible is the final authority for faith and practice for believers. Now, sad to say, as we think about it, many people, even Christians, spend far more time planning the wedding ceremony than they do planning their marriage. I mean, it might take months or even years of preparation to get that lady ready to walk down the aisle, to make sure everything's ready, to make sure the reception is wonderful and immaculate, and those things are fine. But here's the sad thing. Many people spend hours and months and maybe even years planning a wedding ceremony, but they never plan the wedding and the marriage itself. And of course, that ceremony and that reception, no matter how eloquent it may be, will last several hours. But marriage is for a lifetime. Now, understand today that many people are struggling in their marriage as a whole. In our world today, I understand that families are struggling. I believe people want to know, is there hope? Is there help? Are there answers, true answers for the problems that are being faced? And I'm here to say to you, beloved, yes, friend. Yes, indeed. And the answers are found here in God's word. And I pray this series will be a help to you and to your family. And I pray that uh, you'll bring your family. Bring your friends, bring your coworkers, bring those who maybe don't attend church and let them know, listen, we're learning what God's word says about the marriage and the home and family. Would you come? We're going to have a message on the wife. We're going to have a message on the husband. We're going to have a message on children. And we'll have others as God directs. But today we're going to set the stage and get our bearings, if you will. Today we're going to look at the topic the gift of marriage. The gift of marriage. I want you to understand that marriage is a gift. James one seventeen says it this way. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In, in fact, Proverbs 18.22 says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and attains favor from the Lord. And and Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine through 12, says it this way. Two are better than one, for they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Think about that for a moment. A uh, three-cord cord. Jack Graham said, the first fundamental for building a thriving marriage. And I trust that's what you want. Those who are married today. Those who may one day get married. You want a marriage that's not just surviving. You want a marriage that's thriving. The first fundamental... Uh, For building a thriving marriage is to understand that God has designed a threefold cord to tie a marriage together. You say, well, who makes up those cords? Well, that cord is you, your spouse and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to experience the kind of fulfilling, rewarding and truly strong marriage you desire, it must be tied together by Jesus Christ. I like to tell people on their wedding day, we're standing up here to think about marriage as a triangle. Now, a triangle has how many points? Three. Three. And you see at the very top point, we find the Lord, we find God. And then in either bottom point, we have those spouses, a husband and a wife. And the idea in a Christian marriage is as each man and woman, as that husband and wife begin to draw closer to the Lord in that marriage triangle, what happens? As they draw closer to the Lord, they begin to draw closer to one another. Now, listen. Is Jesus Christ a part of your marriage? Are you saved? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, you'll never be the type of spouse you could be or you should be apart from Christ. And if you're here today, you've never experienced new birth, new life in Christ. I want to invite you to come, repent of your sin and take Christ by grace through faith. Now, listen, that is not to say that if two Christians get married, that everything is perfect, that they automatically have a wonderful, fulfilling, rewarding Life together. We're not that naive, are we? Two believers joined together does not automatically mean they have a wonderful marriage. Listen, mark it down big and bold. A good marriage takes work. W-O-R-K. A good marriage takes work. You say, well, I I don't want to work. Then you're not going to have a good marriage. Because a good marriage takes work. Work. I like what else Jack Graham said. He said, Most marriages fall apart. They do so because of a lack of obedience to God and a lack of commitment to one another. It all boils down to one word, and that word is neglect. Neglect. He says, I believe the primary culprit in the demise and destruction of marriages today is neglect. Your marriage is like a beautiful garden. That must be tended. It must be cultivated. It must be worked on. A good marriage doesn't just happen. And I got to reading that and I thought, I like that picture of marriage being a garden. As I thought about that more, I couldn't help but think about a passage in Proverbs. Proverbs 24. Listen to verses 30 to 34 in Proverbs 24. I went by the field of the lazy man. And by the vineyard of the man, devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now think about your marriage garden. If you're married today. What's that garden look like? Is this a picture of it here in Proverbs? It's all overgrown with thorns. The wall is broken down. It's covered with nettles. Nettles are little prickly stinging plants. Maybe that's a description of your marriage. It's like a stinging prickly plant. It just, you know, irritates. Is that a picture of your marriage today? Have you become lazy and neglectful when it comes to your marriage? Listen, nobody comes to me and says, listen, preacher, we want to get married. And then we come to that day where they walk down the aisle and I stand before for them. Nobody stands there thinking these thoughts. Boy, I, when this is over, I can get lazy and neglect my spouse. I finally got him. I finally got her. I'm going to fill my time, my life with hobbies and my career. I'm going to get preoccupied with everything else in life and eventually watch my marriage die. And then snap back to me and say, I do, I do. No. Listen, before they stand in front of me, they can't wait to spend time together. They are inseparable. They love doing anything together. Even if it's just sitting and staring into one another's eyes with amazement and wonder. But then what happens? I do, I do. They walk out the back and what happens? Neglect is what happens. Neglect, Usually gradual, usually slowly over time, but neglect happened. A couple was celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary and several hundred friends and relatives had gathered for the occasion. And as they were cutting the cake with cameras snapping away, Henry decided he was going to give a speech. Ethel, he said. After 60 years of marriage, I found you to be tried and true. Eh? Ethel said, hard of hearing. He repeated a little louder. After 60 years of marriage, I found you to be tried and true. And she harrumphed and said, well, after 60 years of marriage, I'm tired of you too. (laughs) She's hard of hearing, you see. Marriage is a garden that needs to be tended. Marriage is a gift. Let's explore it some more. Let's read this passage together. And we're going to look at this over the next several weeks. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church... And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, we're going to look at this passage in deep on the coming weeks. But I want you to look at just one verse from it today where it says in verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And this is not the first time. Those words are recorded in Scripture. In fact, to find it the first time, go back to the very first book of the Bible. Kids, if you're following your Bible, it's the very first book, okay? The book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis, chapter 2. I know you guys have been working on the book of Genesis. So, Genesis, chapter 2. And we find that we're going to spend the rest of our time together here today in Genesis, chapter 2. As we think about the gift of marriage... And while you're finding Genesis chapter two, I want to tell you where we're going in this message. We're going to talk about marriage in this regard. Who is it for? Who is it from? Who is it for? And what is it for? Who is it from? Who is it for? And then what is it for? Genesis chapter two. And we just read there in Ephesians five. Now find Genesis chapter two. We'll begin reading at verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And notice verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's ask the question and answer today. Marriage, who is it from? Who is it from? Who gave us the gift of marriage? Who was it that uh, brought it to us? Where did it come from? Who thought of it? Who started it? Well, it was not the state. It was not the federal government. It was not even the church that brought about the institution of marriage. The name on the gift tag on this gift of marriage is none other than God Almighty. You see, God is the one that performed the first marriage ceremony. God is the one that gave the bride away. He's the one that pronounced them man and wife, husband and wife. Now, listen, if your marriage is messed up today, if you're struggling and it's a gift you want to take back and give back, don't blame God. There's nothing wrong with the divine institution of marriage. Marriage is holy. Marriage is good. Marriage is right. And beloved, today, marriage is under attack. But I want to stand and publicly say that we as a church family, we as Bible-believing Christians, we believe in the divine institution of marriage. We believe it. Now, one author said, I've heard many people say, my marriage just isn't working Anymore, you would think from such a statement that marriage is some sort of a mechanical routine and there's something wrong with the institution, he says, well, the problem is not with the institution, contrary to popular belief, the problems with the personnel, it's not that marriage works or doesn't work, it's that we must work at making our marriage successful. God gave us the gift of marriage. Marriage. Who is it from? It's from God. Now, secondly, who is it for? Who is it for? Look again back here at the very first marriage. I want you to notice it was between one man and one woman. May I say and be heard clearly today. Marriage is still to be between one man and one woman, not between a man and a man, not between a woman and a woman. Not one man and several women, not several women in one man or any other combination. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And then for the believer, let me take a step further and say this. Believer, marriage should be between you and another Christian. Those who are maybe contemplating marriage. Those that are dating. Those that are looking forward to getting married. Listen, if you're a child of God... Don't marry an unbeliever. You say, what's well, your opinion? No, it's God's Word. Listen to 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Listen, you're on two separate paths. God does not teach or condone missionary dating. Listen, to marry outside the faith is to disobey God. You're to marry a believer. Now, listen, if they're not coming to church now, <laughs> why do you think they're going to change after you get married to them? If they're not serving God now, if they can care less about God now. Why do you think that they're going to change later? Listen, don't do it. Pray for them. Witness to them. Encourage them. Be friendly to them. But don't date them. Because if you date them, you might end up getting married to them. Believers are to marry believers. Marriage is between a man and a woman for the Christians, between a Christian man and a Christian woman. So we know who is it from It's from God. We know who it's for. It's for a man and a woman, for believer to believer. But then there's a third question, and here's where the rub is. What is it for? What is marriage for? Now, a lot of people might be clear on the first two points. They say, well, I understand that God gave us marriage. I understand it's between a man and a woman. But that part about what it's for, I'm not so sure about that. What is the purpose of marriage? Well, let me give it to you as I give it to those who come in for premarital counseling. By the way, if you want me to marry you and you want to get married here, you've got a lot of work ahead of yourself. Right, Courtney? Yeah. Joshua and Holly here, I'd ask them the same thing. And we do that because we love you. And we do that because we want to prepare you. And I give it to them from our preparing for marriage book, three things that marriage does. Number one is for mutually completing one another. Mutually completing one another. Genesis 2.18 says, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Men, you should say amen right there. I'll read it again. It is not good that man should be alone.
1: It should be a long series,
0: I can tell right now. Mutually completing one another. You know, God had Adam there and he named all the animals. And the animals come along and he says, well, that, that's a skunk. And that's an opossum. And that's whatever. And we believe part of that was so that Adam realized, listen... All these animals come in pairs and sets. I don't have anyone myself. Help him see his need. Mutually completing one another. Secondly, to multiply a godly legacy. To multiply a godly legacy. Turn back to chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 28. Genesis 1, Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice he says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, have kids. And we as believers, were to have children. And we are to raise up a godly legacy. A godly legacy. Third, marriage is to mirror God's image. Stay in that same chapter, Genesis 1. Begin back at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In other words, God chose to reveal to us a part of his character through our relationship. In other words, we show love, we show forgiveness. We show unity. We mirror God's image. So we're to mul- mutually complete one another. We're to multiply a Godly legacy. We're to mirror God's image. But this past week, I ran, to, I ran across something by Del Burke that just blew me away. It helped me see marriage in a whole new light. It helped clarify some things, and it's what he calls the marriage seven. And I want to give them to you this morning. And they all come from this passage here in Genesis chapter two. And I want to go through these. We don't have time to develop it completely, but I want to give them to you quickly this morning. The marriage seven. And I want to give you seven needs that marriage meets, first of all. And then I'll talk to you about seven gifts you can give to your spouse, okay? You don't write anything else, but I want to write this down. Seven needs. The marriage seven. Number one, we need companionship. We need companionship. Genesis 2.18 says what? The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. We need companionship. God gave us that. Did he not? In marriage. Secondly, same verse. We need help. We need help. Genesis 2.18 again. I will make him a helper comparable to him. We need help. We need companionship. We need help. Third, we need balance. You say, well, where is that at, preacher? Look at the in again, verse 18. I will make him and helper her comparable to him. We need balance. I need balance. My wife has strengths in areas that I don't have strengths in. I have strengths that she doesn't have. We balance one another in a wonderful way. When you do it, look at our spiritual gifts assessments. My worst gift of all. Are you ready for this? I've told a lot of you. Hospitality. I don't have the gift of hospitality. Guess what my wife's greatest gift is? It's hospitality, right? Is that right, Danielle? It's hospitality. So when you call a parsonage, hope she answers, because that?
1: <laughs>
0: no. We need companionship. We need help. We need balance. Fourth, we need esteem. We need esteem. Look at Genesis 2, 23 and 24. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice that God created the woman from taking from the bone of the man. We need esteem. We need others to build us up. Then I want you to notice, fifthly, we need security. That's what that verse 24 talks about. Um, uh, it says there in verse 24, what? A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's that security there that they're now one. In other words, a husband and wife, a man and woman, are leaving their family relationships, if you will, their family unit they're presently in, and forming a brand new family unit. A husband and wife coming together. We need security. Number six, we need intimacy. That's what it means there. When it says they became one flesh. We need intimacy. That is to be within the bounds of marriage. Fornication and uncleanness and adultery and all that is wicked and perverted. Sexuality is good in the bounds of holy matrimony. And then number seven, we need acceptance. Where is that at? Look at the last verse, verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not Ashamed. Seven needs that are met there: companionship, help, balance, esteem, security, intimacy, and acceptance. Now he mentioned in this, and I thought it was wonderful, that there is a gift that we can give to our spouse that goes along with each need. And I want to give you those seven gifts real quickly to today. And as you write these down, I want you to really work at these gifts. Take it as a challenge this week, as we begin to talk about marriage and preach about marriage and think about marriage and family and the home and relationships. And listen, those who are single today, maybe you're never going to get married again. Maybe you're a widow or whatever. Pray for families. Pray for marriages. For those that are young and are not yet married. Listen, open your ears and hearts. Hear what God's word is saying to you and wait for God's choice in your life. God will bring you the best person you need to marry. Wait for him. Pray, be faithful, and wait for that Christian to come along. For the gift of companionship, what's the gift we can give? We give the gift of time. The gift of time. If we're going to be companions, we've got to spend time together. Listen, some guys get so overwhelmed working and trying to buy lots of stuff for their families, and they show their love through the stuff and maybe a big house and nice cars and nice things and nice toys. But they spend all their time working to provide those. Listen, guys, they want your time. They want your time. More than big house and stuff. Time before you were married, how much time did you spend together, man? You couldn't wait to get together. You would go clean toilets together as long as you were together. It was exciting. Right? But now it's like, well, you got time to get the blackberry out. Boop, 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 boop. No, I'm busy, sorry. You know, next week. Time. For the gift of help. You ready for this? A servant spirit. A servant spirit. You say, Well, I'm not liking all this, preacher. Time and servant spirit. What's a servant spirit? It means I'm going to help. We need help. I'm going to help. And that means a lot of different things to whatever your situation. Help for you. Man, guys, you might need to pitch in and change some diapers or wash some clothes or wash some dishes. Ladies, you might need to come out and help wash the clothes. I don't know what it means to you, but you help. The servant spirit, not grudgingly, not, well, I guess I'll help you. No, it's I love you. I want to help you. I want to help you. Third, for the gift of balance, the need for balance, we're to give the gift of perspective. In other words, have you noticed that men and women look at things differently? You notice that? Perspective. God's put you together, two or one. You come at something, two different perspectives. Doesn't mean yours is right or yours is better, but you consider it. Perspective. Number four, for esteem. Give the gift of praise. Give the gift of praise. Do you ever praise your spouse? I don't mean to put on; I mean really praise them. Several people have commented today on my jacket. They like my jacket. I appreciate that, but you know what? There's one person I care whether or not likes my jacket. And that's my wife. I want her praise. I want to hear well done. She wants to hear the same from me. Your spouse wants to hear that from you. So if you don't like my jacket, I don't care. She likes it. (laughs) (laughs) Praise. Number five, security. What kind of gift do you give for security? You give the gift of commitment. It says they'll be joined, become one flesh. The idea is this. Divorce is not in your vocabulary. Separation is not in your discussion. You stood before a minister of the gospel. You said, till death do us part. It's commitment to the lows and highs, to the hard days, the good days, the high days and the low days. You're committed. You're stuck. You're there. You're committed. Brings a wonderful sense of security to that marriage relationship. Number six, for intimacy, obvious answer here, the gift of sexual love. Sexual love. And number seven. The need of acceptance. You give your spouse the gift of unconditional love. Isn't that what God gives us? Unconditional love. Man, I love you. I love you. I love you. Whether I like your choices, whether I like your preferences or whatever. Unconditional love. Let's go to those gifts again. The gift, give it this week, the gift of time, the gift of a servant spirit, the gift of perspective, the gift of praise, the gift of commitment, the gift of sexual love, the gift of unconditional love. Give that to your spouse. Marriage is a wonderful gift from our great and marvelous God. James 1.17 says it. I'll say it again. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down to the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Are you enjoying your gift today? Are you tending your marriage garden? Or is it like the lazy man's garden? Broken down, grown up with thorns and nettles, prickly and awful looking. The gift of marriage. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Our time's up. Before I pray, as wonderful as the gift of marriage is, there's a gift even greater. It's the gift of eternal life. Have you received it? Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless, perfect life, died for you, shed his blood for you, was buried and rose again victorious and will receive you into himself today and give you eternal life. You say, what I do, preacher, you trust him. Turn from your sin to Christ. And I wonder today, have you received the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life? If not today, when we close in prayer and sing in a moment, I want to invite you to come and allow someone to take a Bible and share with you how you can know Christ as your Savior. Now, listen. If your spouse is nearby, if your spouse is nearby, if you're committing this morning a fresh and anew to tend your marriage garden, if your spouse is nearby, would you just take them by the hand, every head bowed, every eyes closed? Would you take them by the hand today as we pray? And by taking your spouse by the hand, if you can't do it now, do it later. By taking them to hand today, let them know listen, I'm committed to tending our marriage garden. I'm committed with God's help to have a wonderful marriage. I'm committed with God's help to have a marriage like God wants us to have. And as you join hands today as we pray, perhaps in a moment when we sing, you need to come down with your spouse and maybe kneel and. Commit your lives together again and say, Lord Jesus, I want you again. I want you. I commit that you'll be part of our marriage. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the gift of marriage. I pray for our families and marriages at Red Hill. Help us to minister. Help us to meet needs. Help us to encourage I pray today if there's someone here who has never experienced the greatest gift. The gift of eternal life. I pray they'll come in this closing invitation. Bless this message. Bless this series. Bless these words to our hearts. I pray. Work now in the Savior's name. Amen.